As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. It's time for the big show. Welcome to Hancock and Kelly here on Fox 2, which unlike Megan Kelly's show is still on the air. <laughs> oh, man. That's what they tell Rough us. Rough start. Zing. On the right. John Hancock. Top of the morning, everyone. Good to see you. And on the left, Michael Kelly. Happy Sunday. That wasn't fair. She's getting paid $50 million to leave. <laughs> we'll never get paid $50 million to leave. And I'm John Brown. All right, the big story this week, only, what, nine days until the election, and we're debating bomb scares, migrant caravans, and cleaning up politics. Let's begin with the bomb scares this week. As you know by now, several explosive devices were sent to powerful Democrats all around the country. And on Friday, an arrest was made where else but South Florida. Many say the president's rhetoric has led us to this point where it's no longer threats, it's actual violence. The man's vehicle had bumper stickers supporting Republicans and one that even read CNN sucks. As I speak, someone is probably typing a nasty email saying that we're all falling for this false flag attack and it's actually the media who is to blame. As part of a larger national effort to bridge our divides and bring people together, the media also has a responsibility to set a civil tone and to stop the endless hostility and constant negative and oftentimes false attacks and stories. Okay, that would have been fine had he left it there, but Jen, then just a couple of seconds later, he said this. Fake news to finally investigate Hillary Clinton will just have... Him either, okay? Good old Maxie, low IQ individual. All right, guys. He asked for civility. A few seconds later, we get the insults like this. You're up first on this one. The whole CNN sucks thing, asking for the media to tone down the rhetoric, and then he, he hypes it up. Well, unfortunately, this isn't a serious human being. And, you know, look, I think what, if you listen to his original statement, he was right on talking about the need for civility, and then he went and acted like Donald Trump does. I don't believe that Donald Trump is the cause of, of all of this alone. I think there's blame on both sides. We've been dealing with crazy people in this country for the Long time. quite a while. <laughs> um, it was almost just a little over a year ago that we had that horrible shooting uh, where defenseless congressmen were shot uh, here uh, by somebody on the left. We have these most recent attacks that are coming on the right. You know, it would be helpful if the, pro the one thing the president can do and the role that they've played in the past, whether it was George W. Bush after 9-11, Franklin Delano Roosevelt after the Pearl Harbor bombing, they were the consoler-in-chief. They were the moderator-in-chief. They were someone who led us. That man's not leading. Uh, he's just continuing to put the blender on high speed. And uh, I worry that we are headed to a, 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 an area much like we experienced in the 1960s. I, of course, wasn't alive for it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Bobby Kennedy I and yep. Martin Luther King, Jack Kennedy, 
So many things happened there around the Vietnam War. I hope that we don't have to go through a tragic event like this to bring civility back to our politics. Yeah, I think, you know, this was a moment that um, I hope we don't miss. Um, had I been advising the president, which I, I don't advise the president, Brown, but had I been advising the president, uh, that would have been the night this story broke, would have been a time to postpone the rally in Wisconsin and address the nation from the Oval Office. And uh, it, with that level of heft, a presidential address, uh, addressing the state of our political discourse, because it is off the track. I mean, there's no question about it. And then you can blame Donald Trump. You can blame a whole lot of people. Uh, but it's off the tracks. And, you know, Rand Paul just was, what, a month ago, warned that somebody's going to die because of the political discourse in the country. And, you know, I hope, I pray it doesn't come to that. But uh, we're not in a good, a good place right now. And, you know, there should be more Hancocks and more Kellys out there. Well, I agree. And then when you do have the media who also, I mean, you saw some of the stuff this week. I mean, that was just nasty and ridiculous, too, saying these are, these are fake stories. They think the Democrats are actually planting this. And even when they found the guy who had all the bumper stickers, I mean, think about how that conspiracy would play out. So this guy started putting these bumper stickers on months and months and months ago. Oh. And here he is, by the way for this one moment when it would be a fake story. I mean, you can't even wrap your head around the conspiracies that go into this to blame somebody other than this guy. This man's a sick individual, yeah. as was the person who shot somebody in Illinois, that, from Illinois. That's right. But at the end of the day, they were terrorists. And these folks are being prompted to do this as a result of the dialogue that's taking place. Uh, we've been talking, I feel like we've been at this for five or six months, talking about this thunderdome of rhetoric that we have in this country. Um, well, one, we're not going to solve issues this way. And what I'm worried about, Brown, is, is if you watch what's happened, it's not just at a national presidential elections. We have saw it in the Senate race. It's now trickled down into even local elections, intra-party elections, using language of hate and liar and Nazi and words that just are so powerful to be used in politics. I mean, politics is supposed to be a substitution for violence. And I would argue what we are doing in our politics is promoting that. And here's where it matters. It matters because if, if the United States systematically can't fix what's broken and can't work together, can't get things done, if the nation can't come along and unify around a certain set of core values that are uniquely American, it's not just us that suffers, it's the whole world. The whole world depends on a stable and effective America. And I'm glad you said that because this next story ties in perfectly with what you guys are both talking about, how it shouldn't be politics, it needs to be policy, right? Let's talk about the migrant caravan now heading towards the U.S. The numbers are growing. They are expected to arrive near the U.S. border, what, sometime around Election Day? Who really knows, though? The migrants say conditions in their home country are awful. They just want jobs. They want safer places for their families. Others say this timing is suspect because of the election. Who's behind this one? Some are asking why the Mexican government isn't doing more. And some lawmakers even say, yes, we have to protect the border. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. All right, threw a bit of a curveball there. One point, Democrats were all in favor of sealing the borders. That was 2006. You had Senator Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, then Senator Obama, along with two, other, uh, two dozen other Democrats, voting for the Secure Fence Act. It included a 700-mile fence. This goes to what you were saying, John. 
it's no longer on principle. This is what is my party doing, which I think is a dangerous line because not much has changed since 2006 and now except everybody's views have changed. Well, at least what they say on TV. You can't. A nation has to be able to control its borders. And now, where where I think some have overstepped here is trying to turn this into the somehow the Democrats are responsible for unleashing these people out of Honduras. No. Now, I think it's entirely possible and even likely uh, that the communist regime in Venezuela uh, and, and through some of their some of their surrogates uh, who are left of center in Honduras, I think it's it's possible they're behind it. And I think there's a lot of domestic politics. Uh, President Hernandez in Honduras is very pro-American. Uh, so I think there's some internal politics there that has stirred this thing up and sent this caravan. But we, look, you can't have porous borders. Well, first of all, we don't, we're not going to have porous borders. There's no, this isn't a surprise these folks are coming. These are human beings. They're marching 26 miles a day with their kids, their spouses. They're getting blisters. They're getting sunburned. These are folks who are not coming uh, illegally. They're showing up because they have a legitimate asylum claim that they're going to make. And to watch the president use this as a tool to call people and anybody who's coming there you know, ultimately, we've got to fix this problem. We can build the biggest wall. We can send every military person we want down there. But people are going to continue to leave for better opportunity. And it'd be helpful if we were to not be an isolationist country. We were to invest our time, energy, trade in these countries so that these people aren't looking for reasons to leave their own country and come to the promise of America. But when you have the rhetoric the president's using, that's the type of conversation that's not going to happen. It, it has been policy in the United States for over a century to try and stabilize these regimes in Central and South America, precisely so uh, folks can have a standard of living and a way of life that is not—they're not drawn to flee into into the United States of America, and that's sound policy. Uh, and it's one of the things that concerns me just about the tariffs in general is that, you know, it is not in the United States' national security interest for these nations to suffer and, and fall into instability, economic instability. You get Venezuela's uh, when that happens. Mm -hmm. All right, so to come on Hancock and Kelly, you're voting on something called Clean Missouri very soon. It has bipartisan support and bipartisan disdain. Some lawmakers on both the right and left say the bill is not clean and it's not about Missouri. We'll have a closer look straight ahead. Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. Let's talk early voting. Bit of a surprise from NBC News. Early voting numbers rolling in and Republicans coming out in very large numbers thus far. It's maybe a little tough to see, so I'll explain what you're looking at here. In eight states that have big races, Republicans lead in everyone but Nevada. The report says the Republicans who here are in the red, of course. You can see Nevada, the only one in blue. Uh, report says Republicans typically dominate early voting, but many thought it would be different this year because of opposition of Democrats to President Trump. I've heard several pollsters on TV recently saying, much like 2018, the people who say they're going to vote a certain way may not be coming out and voting the way they say. Michael, you're up first on this one. You saw a lot of numbers this week, and what are you seeing? Well, it's not surprising that the Republicans have turned out early. I, too, anticipate there's a huge blue wave of energy out there. Democrats are going to be showing up. Uh, you know, early voting, unfortunately, it doesn't exist in this state. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Republicans won't put it into place, but it would be great if we had it. Uh, so we don't have that barometer here in Missouri. 
But, you know, it is what it is, but it's going to be a huge Democratic turnout because Democrats typically show up on Election Day. That surprise you, John? Those numbers? Uh, I am a little surprised. It's, it's typical midterm. You would think the party in power is going to have something of a depressed turnout. And a month ago, uh, I would have said that, yeah, you know, it, it, it didn't feel to me. You know, I've been doing this a long time. It didn't feel to me. Uh, like there was a lot of cohesion and enthusiasm on the GOP side. Well, that's all changed with the Kavanaugh hearings. And what you're seeing in these numbers, I think, is a reflection of that. Republicans have come together and they've gotten energized and now they're turning out and voting. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to show itself on Election Day uh, and surprise a lot of people. And on Election Day, you don't have to have an ID. Missouri judge ruled that local election workers cannot enforce a core requirement in the new photo voter identification law. If you were lacking a photo ID, the requirement said that you had to sign a sworn statement, bring another form of ID to cast a ballot. Secretary of State Ashcroft sent out a statement, and it reads, in part, Judge Richard Callahan has eviscerated Missouri's photo ID law as crafted by the state legislature. Somehow, while holding the law constitutional, Judge Callahan has prohibited the enforcement of the law for the upcoming election. Fellas, let's talk about this very quickly here. Uh, did this one surprise you? The yeah, way this it one did. Came down? It did. I mean, I, th I think the law is perfectly constitutional. Um, you need a photo ID to do anything in this country, and, and uh, you should use one to vote as well. Having said that, I don't think it's going to have that much of a, if any, impact on this election. Uh, well, you don't need a photo ID to do anything in this country, and especially when it comes to vote. Now, here in Missouri, they tried to pass a law that was unconstitutional. It's been overturned, and that's a positive development. Look, I think the larger question here is, is why are we putting up barriers for people to vote? Why aren't we ensuring that every person who's 18 years old in this state is automatically registered to vote? I think if people really want access to the ballot, which is what Republicans say, and they want it to be fair, then let's put everybody in there when they turn 18, take their picture, give everybody that ID, and move forward that way. Except that there are people that don't want to register to vote, and they should have the freedom in this country to make that choice for themselves. All right, let's talk Clean Missouri here. You do get to vote on that, but do you really know what Clean Missouri is? It covers a lot, which is why it almost got tossed off the ballot. So here's what it does in a nutshell. It changes campaign contribution limits. It puts a two-year waiting period for lawmakers or their staff to become lobbyists. Uh, also limits gifts that lawmakers can accept and changes how we redistrict in Missouri. The problem with that is that you're going to have these huge snake-like districts where people don't have communities that are going to be kept intact. Um, and the idea that you would have somebody out in you know, Warren County or Jefferson County representing St. Louis City, um, that's just absurd. You're going to go from having districts that are majority black to maybe 20% black. Um, and there's some issues there that I think it's going to reduce the size of the Legislative Black Caucus by necessity. You have people on the right and the left for it, right and the left against it. Unusual coalitions here, Michael. Well, I don't buy into the premise, number one. Uh, you're not going to have districts that are going to be sweeping from the city of St. Louis out to Franklin County. What we currently have is a bunch of districts in this state, not one comparable Republican district, where it's packed in and Democrats are 90% of the vote all in one district. That's not a fair representation of what this state looks like. There is a way to draw maps more fair, more competitive, and more reflective of Missouri. But even Lacey Clay, others say they're concerned about the Legislative Black Caucus here well, losing the, people because yeah, of this. Yeah, the reason there are no 90% Republican districts in the state is because there are no pockets where 90% of the people vote Republican. Uh, there are some 70% areas, uh, but there are 90% Democratic areas. So the question becomes, 
Are you going to draw districts that reflect the community of interest, the people that are living in an area that have a community of interest and it happens to be a majority minority area? Are you going to draw those districts or are you going to take that community of interest, that area where 90% of the folks are Democrats, and dispense those voters out into a number of districts that by necessity will have to go out somewhere toward the hinterland? And I think the, the, sole, the, the fact that this saying gives redistricting to the state auditor, which happens to be the only Democrat elected official statewide, ought to tell you everything you need to know about it. Shop it's a, also it's happens a partisan, to be the most competent statewide it's official. It's a partisan-driven initiative. And Republicans that support this, I don't get. What, what, here's what I find funny, though, or interesting, is if you read through this, other than redistricting, this was Governor Greitens' election platform. This is everything he ran on. Everybody was against him then. This is, I mean, I've looked back at all of his speeches. This was the same stuff he well, said that, back then. All that campaign ethic stuff is, is window dressing to change redistricting, to okay. in my opinion. Now, I, I, I could be wrong about that. You Kelly. are, as usual. <laughs> all right, still to come on Hancock and Kelly. Look at their tadpole this week. And also, a Democrat likely running for president has a unique idea to help America's poor. $50,000 each. We'll debate that one straight ahead. All right, time for your weekly tad poll put together by these guys. All right, this week they ask, are you dressing up for Halloween this year? And let's take a look at the numbers here. 24% say yes, they well, are. These are adults, Brown. These yeah. are adults, not the kids, because that's closer to 100%. 67% say no, they're like me, they may have to work. 9% still not sure because why? They don't know if they're getting invited to a party yet. All right. You guys broke down the numbers on this one, too. Huh? It is pretty interesting that a quarter of adults in the St. Louis area dress one up for four. Halloween. Yeah. They the still tell a joke, on? too. Do the adults have to tell a joke, too? Well, I would hope. You know, well, I know, you know, Kelly likes to dress up and go uh, watch, you know, the, uh, all the costumes in Sioux. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. watching the costumes. Well, that's acceptable. Yeah, that, there you go. Uh, you know, the most interesting aspect of this poll, Brown, because <laughs> we, we break it down, you know, gender, race, you know, blah, blah, blah. Party. Party. Republicans are about 10% more likely to dress up for Halloween than Democrats are. Wow. How do you explain what that What do you one? take well, from so that I guess one, Republicans excelling again, except for if I was a Republican, I'd want to mask my identity as well. <laughs> well so there you I think go, that's what's probably going there you on. Go. All right, one other story that caught my attention this week in our political potpourri. Senator Cory Booker this week announcing a plan that he thinks is going to level the playing field between rich and poor, black and white, success and failure. The New Jersey senator obviously planning to run for president. And so he put this one out there. In a nutshell, he wants the government to give all American kids all $1,000 when they're born, all right? And they get additional money every year until they turn 18. Every year, the kids, depending on the family's income level, get a certain amount of money. The poorer you are, the more money you'll get, up to $2,000 a year. That money's invested. It could end up being $50,000 for the poor kids by the time they turn 18. Got to go to college or buy a house with it. Uh, they're going to tax some different things, like capital gains, here to help pay for this. Yeah. It's getting a lot of attention. It's interesting. Michael, I'll let you go first on this one. Is that a way to level the playing field so these poor kids can, can have a way to catch up with their peers? Sure. I don't think it's realistic. You don't I think mean, so? No. Tribal. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it is getting exactly what we're doing here, and that's giving it some attention. Or Cory Booker. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, what a stupid idea this is, Brown. I mean... You know, what we ought to be teaching kids that? is that you earn money. And you don't earn money by somebody handing it to you. You earn money by going out and working and earning it and meriting the money. And this is precisely the wrong message to be sending to kids. And uh, not only that, we can't afford but it. 
And it's, it, it's just stupid. The only people we hand money to in this country are the wealthiest individuals with a ridiculous tax cut That's for the top one percent. No, we handed them hundreds of billions no. of dollars. No, it's their money. Put it on the credit cards, and then money. are starting to complain that the deficit's out of control, and we need to go now after your Social Security and after your Medicare. When you begin to believe that the money that we send to Washington is Washington's money and not our money that you, you begin down a very dangerous path and this is our money, tax cuts let us keep our money and giving away money to people who haven't earned it is this is what's wrong with this country. Economically. All right, still to come on Hancock and Kelly, it is time for final thoughts, so we'll make it good, promise. promise. Time now for final thoughts here on Hancock and Kelly. You lost the coin flip, you're up first. Yep, look. Almost a week away from the election, $100 million is being spent in Missouri to influence your vote as to what's going to happen. $100 million. So many people want to be involved in our Senate campaign and influence it. You should. Let's mark the tape, Brown. Republicans okay. are going to pick up four seats in the U.S. Senate. I won't uh, belabor the, 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 the where. But in the House, if you want to know which party is going to control, watch those two races in southern Illinois. If the GOP goes two for two, we're going to hold the House. If the Democrats go two for two, they're going to have a big win. If you split them one to one, it's going to be a nail biter. All right. Thanks for watching Hancock and Kelly. We're out of time for today. You can see Chris Wallace coming up next. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you back here next week.